you know, if you wake up one day and you go to your team meeting on Zoom and you look around and it's a bunch of white males and you don't do anything about it, that's just not really smart. You know, and it's and, and some people will listen to me say this and they'll be like, yeah, but we just hire the people that are most qualified for the job. And so my challenge would be, well, what about all of the blind spots that you guys don't see because you're not different than each other? That was Sean Wilkie on this week's episode of the People of Veterinary Medicine podcast. The People of Veterinary Medicine, brought to you by Luca Veterinary Data Security. Greetings, DVMs, practice managers, vet techs, support staff, veterinary consultants, and podcast enthusiasts. Welcome or welcome back. In this week's episode, we are talking with Sean Wilkie, who's the founder of Talkatu. And Talkatu is a speech to text app. So think like Siri, but more veterinary focused. So with veterinary industry specific terms and language that it'll recognize. It also works for a whole host of other things. So I know that they specialize in vet med, but we also use it internally because it is just so slick and it makes things just so much easier, especially if you have a lot of typing to do. You know, writing a new article, sometimes it's just easier to talk the article out than it is to actually type it and then go back and kind of edit it and clean it up, at least for me anyways. But one interesting thing is that shortly after recording this episode, I was able to spend a few days with Sean down at the Fetch Veterinary Conference in San Diego. And Sean is just an amazing individual. Um, he really... There's so much that I personally can learn from him. Um, having started an IT company, he was doing some different stuff that, than we do at Luca, but you know, there's so much, there's, there's a little bit of crossover there, especially business model wise. And so to be able to learn from somebody who's like built and grown a number of businesses and kind of continues to grow and change and push and, and also push the industry to a better place. It was just truly an honor to not only be able to interview him for the show, but then really get to spend some time with him and just, uh, just grow personally and professionally. And so it was really awesome. And I'm really excited to have Sean kind of in that inner circle of just great people and great human beings in the veterinary space that, you know, we just so desperately need to really drive this industry forward. So with that being said, I think you're really going to get a lot out of this episode. Again, we talk a lot about people and culture and how we drive things forward and the whole diversity inclusion question in vet med and what is Takatu doing about that and you know, hopefully I can learn from that as well as we continue to grow as a company. So with that being said, sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode. But first, do you ever dread it as you're moving that dental laptop from side to side to help get better images and get better views that that laptop may come tumbling off that cart and then you may lose all that history of all those dental images? Well, if you're not, my friends, we can definitely help you that. For as little as $20 a month, we can back up and protect all of your dental images so you never have the worry of A, dumping that laptop off the table, or spilling some unwanted fluids in it and ruining it forever and losing all of those precious dental radiology images. Dental images are probably one of the most overlooked assets within the veterinary hospital, so make sure you don't overlook yours. If you're interested in protecting your dental images at your hospital, reach out to us at support at luca.vet. Again, that's support at luca.vet. Awesome. Well... For everybody that hasn't had the opportunity to listen to what we were talking about before we got started, I had to stop you because I was like, don't tell me too much because it'll ruin the show. So yeah, man, super excited to uh, finally get to chat to chat with you, peel the layers of the onion back, learn more about you. I mean, just the, the little bit that I know 
in the conversations we've had, there's so many things I want to talk to you about. Um, so I have two canned questions. One at the beginning is how did you get into vet med? What led you into vet med? And then the second one is at the end and it's just shameless self-promotion. You know, it's, you can promote whatever you want, anything coming up and the floor is yours. So starting with the first one, how did you get started in vet med? That's a great question. So, um, yeah, I guess the story is I had come back from living in Indonesia. I sold my first tech company um, and had spent six months in Southeast Asia, kind of on a beach, watching my kid grow up, reading the books that I thought I wanted to read, doing the things that I thought I wanted to do. And, you know, three months in, I was bored, stiff, and I didn't know what was going to happen next, but I knew I needed to go back to work at some point very, very, very soon. Um, so I was in Thailand. My buddy called and told me that he was getting married in a week, not a lot of notice. And I decided to go back to Canada and go to his wedding. So I went back to Canada, went to his wedding and I was like, I can't go back. Like I'm, I might break my brain if I just sit there and don't do anything for a longer period of time. So I went back to a small town where I had started an IT services company like 20 years ago, still own that company and jump back in and started running it again. Uh, so it's called Robotnik still exists. I sold it last year, but great group of people, um, I basically got to grow up in a company that I founded. So I, I ran it for 20 years um, and then sold it to one of my employees. So I'm there and my business partner at the time started selling voice recognition software to human medical doctors. And so we were selling um, a, a competitive product to talk to you now um, to human medical doctors. And we were crushing it. We became their top reseller in less than a year. Um, bought a couple of the right domain names and really started to accelerate that part of our managed services business. And along the way, I met a veterinarian named Brian Petit in Houston. And Brian, um, we just became fast friends. And he had developed a vocabulary to add on to this software uh, to make it that specific. And given my software engineering background, we took that vocabulary and built an add-on to this piece of software and created another company to take that human medical product to the veterinary field. And so, you know, we were doing that. It was going quite well. We had, I think we got up to 14 or 15 employees. Uh, we had customers and partners all around the world uh, from Australia to all over the U.S. and Canada and everywhere is in between. Um, but the problem with that product is we weren't able to scale to a lot of the corporate customers that wanted to buy it because we didn't own the entire software stack. There was no way for us to deploy it to a thousand people or even a hundred, you know, because it was licensed per, it was a per license model that we were literally shipping CDs in the mail um, with microphones in 2017. And, you know, given my background, I had started another company with Google doing cloud services and SaaS, like even before it was called cloud services and SaaS back in 2007, I was like, this just doesn't make any sense. You know, like this really should be a subscription software. It should really be getting better all the time. And so and I had an opportunity to sell the company to the other co-founder who I had worked with for a bunch of years. He was still really jazzed up on the idea and I took the opportunity. I sold the company and me and my CFO left 
um, you know, I had another little exit, had some money in my jeans and uh, met, met my friend Ivan and the co-host of my podcast, which I'm excited to have you come on it soon. Um, I think we've got it scheduled and locked and loaded. Um, so we met and we started this podcast and we were doing the podcast thing. And then a bunch of technology companies were starting to do stuff around voice and voice processing and natural language processing and creating APIs. And so as those APIs came more and more mainstream, we hired a couple of developers, uh, started to kind of hypothesize that we might be able to build something that was better, uh, easier, simpler, and a better fit for VetMed, um, something that we could scale, something that we could have, you know, a global service that was available anywhere on the planet. And that's what we did. So we raised, you know, a bunch of money from ourselves and uh, a bunch, a little bit of institutional money. Um, we started with about a million dollars of seed funding and uh, started talking to and didn't know if we were ever going to get a product out the door. We were a year and a half before we had anything that was even remotely ready for prime time. And I think it was, it's probably going to be three years ago now when we launched at the Wild West Vet Show, which you're just getting ready to go to. And when we went there, God love our first customers. We went there with a product that didn't even work um, very well at all. Um, we were able to sell it. And I'm happy to report that we've got, I think, all of those like initial like five, seven customers still using our product and a couple thousand more people now today. And that's how I got into VetMed. Nothing like that's a loaded all- question to kick us off. Yeah, no, no, it's awesome. Okay, so there's so many things you said there. And one thing is that, you know, you talked about, we've talked about a little bit, like you owning this MSP style business and kind of having gone down that road. And as, as somebody who's also worked in that industry, I was talking with, um, you know, Adam Greenbaum of Whisker, Whisker, Whisker yeah. Tales. Yeah. I know of him, but I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So he had me on uh, his show the other day, shameless self-promotion, I guess, and uh, their podcast. But we were talking about this idea that like customer service in IT is god awful, right? Yeah. Like it's it's just terrible. And like having been on the other side of the aisle and being like the VCIO of, of like an MSP and like you know trying to manage those customer relationships, trying to influence, you know, help them navigate, you know, the one thing that we always had problems with was you know, just like IT guys just aren't great customers. They're just not great with customer service. But you were able to, to do it really, you know, you were able to do it pretty well. So how did you navigate that challenge of like taking these tech people and making them be able, like customer focused and be able to like serve their customers, you know, in, in like a non-brash or abrasive way? Yeah, I think it's it's really interesting. So yeah, we do have a reputation of being maybe not the most personable, maybe being a little like introverted, maybe... You know, maybe all of these stereotypical things that exist in IT kind of professionals. However, and I think this is a really important one, we've got skills that nobody else has, you know, (laughs) and so because we have those skills and, you know, if you can rally around a purpose um, and, and be passionate about it and incentivize people in the right way and teach them like the basics, like the basics for me, Clinton, were always under promise and over deliver. 
So if, if, if you think it's going to take, this was like the thing that would happen all the time because we had a retail component to our uh, managed services business. It, it started out as a couple of retail computer stores and it grew into a managed services business. And they still even have a small storefront today, but it's, it's really like maybe 2% of their business. Um, but what I would tell people all the time and this was like the, this was the, this kind of unlocked it for us is if you think it's going to take two hours, I want you to tell the client that it's going to take six. And if you think it's going to take an hour, like I'm going to add, I'm going to times whatever you tell me by two. Um, and I want you to come up with your best judgment and then times it by two or three. And then that's what I want you to tell the people it's going to take. Tell them you're not sure, but that's what you think it's going to be. And if somebody, you know, if you're coming in to fix a server or if you're coming in to fix somebody's like laptop and you tell them it's going to be three hours and then they come and show up to pick it up and it's an hour and you bill them an hour, you've gone from like somebody that they don't like, don't understand and, you know, worry that you might be like trying to take advantage of them to their best friend. They like, they're like, they love you now. They're like, wow, you told them, whoa, this is awesome. And so that was like, that was kind of our guiding principle and kind of like our, uh, the thing that we was our North star at my company is like this idea of like under promising and then over delivering. Yeah. I can really resonate with that. When I was uh, putting myself through college, I worked at a Honda dealership and I worked in the service department and I started out as like the shuttle driver, you know, so I would just like drive people to work or whatever. And then I got, had been there for so long. I think I worked there for like seven years or something. And, uh, yeah, again, back to the idea of self-funding, right? Um, you know, self-funding my way through school. And so that when I had to fill in as a service advisor, the, that was like what you just said was like the greatest learning thing that I had had ever dealt with because I had all these people that were like, where the hell is my car? Where's my car? Where's my car? And I realized that if I could call them before they called me, even if I was just calling them to say, hey, just letting you know, we're working on it still. Um, we should hopefully have it again tell them end of day. And then, you know, if I call them at two o'clock, they're stoked. Right. Yeah. Um, and so like, that was one thing at, at the MSP that, you know, we were talking about customer service. I was like, that was one thing I was like, I was trying to instill the same thing. Right. Cause it's like computers are like cars in some regards, right? Like you can't yeah. do your job, oh, you can't get around, you can't, you know, like there's so many similarities. And so like that demand is really high and it's, and it's interesting because yeah, it is such a, uh, when I worked when I worked for in the government finance industry and building cloud services, um, we actually had an IT company that was like managing this server rack that we essentially uh, were renting in, in Fort Lauderdale. And it was the same thing. I hated calling them, you know, because they were terrible. And so it was like I could really resonate and I, I had been on the other side. So you had talked about starting a company that was in like voice recognition. And then you become like a, essentially a competitor to a company you helped start. So what was that like? I mean, and especially if it was like somebody you knew, I mean, what's that relationship like now? Is it, is it rough? I mean, how did that play? Yeah. Out? I mean, it's a great question. And, you know, as far as I'm concerned, like they're great people, they run a good business. They uh, have a product that helps people. That's a better fit in some cases than our product. So um, but yeah, I think it strains any relationship. You know, I, I think, you know, these were friends of mine and business partners and I left and thought that I could do something better and started to do it. And yeah, it, it strains a relationship for sure. Um, but like I said, I think they're good people. I've got no hard feelings. 
uh, I learn lots from them and I think they learned the occasional thing from me and, you know, uh, I'd be happy to go for coffee or tea with them any day of the week. Yeah, I know. I know all too well. Um, I guess the re- I asked that out of some sort of a little bit of uh, personal interest, having ha- having had to dealt with that myself and really trying to do something different, something better. But, you know, like your old boss sees you as a competitor and, it, and they absolutely they hate it, you know, and I, I understand. And but much like you, I'm in the same boat that, you know, I've got nothing but respect for him and, and the company and I wish them the best. And uh, yeah, you know, sometimes like I get a lot from the people in the industry. Like, well, could you work together? I'm like, technically, yes, we could. You know, yeah. I don't know that they want to right now, but yeah, and I think it's, we could. I mean, it's just like you got to be professional, right? This is business. Yeah. This is not personal relationships. And, you know, it's, you know, I think as long as you're as long as you're respectful and as long as you're not like throwing fud at them, like I recommended their software the other day to a, a customer of ours. It's a better fit for what they're doing than what we do. Um, in this particular very specialized, highly technical use case, their product works better than ours. So um, I think you just transparency and honesty is important. Yeah. Have you read Carol Dweck's book, The Growth Mindset? I started it and didn't finish it. Uh, okay. <laughs> many well, other hundreds of books. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like it basically what you said is is something that I have also tried to embrace because it's like at the end of the day, like let's say right now, if, if all 30,000, 36,000 vet hospitals came to us, even the NBA ones, and they're like, hey, we want you to help us, we would not be able to service them, right? Like if we got an additional 2,000 that were like all at once, we're like, hey, we want you to help. We could not handle that load, right? Yep. Like, um, and and it goes back to this idea that, you know, you're right. There's And there are definitely hospitals that like I've worked with in the past where I'm like, I want nothing to do with you. I want nothing to do yeah. with you. You know, you're you're not a right fit for how we operate. I mean, that's just the nature of the business, right? Yeah, I think, I think the way that I look at business and our industry, you know, dictation for professionals and in this particular case, like the veterinary professionals, it's an ever increasing pie. It's not a shrinking pie, you know? So I think that there's room for multiple providers in the space and like everybody can have their own specialty. You know, what we're really trying to do at Takatu is just to be, you know, to alleviate the typing, you know, for anybody that's stuck behind a keyboard in to do it in a simple way. Um, and not all of the other stuff, you know, we're not focused on like, you know, a lot of advanced kind of features or macros or remote control of the computer, we've made an easy and simple to use solution. And that's a good fit for a lot of people in the industry. Um, and for others, it's just not going to work. And and that's okay, because there's a lot of people out there that need what we've built. So I want to circle back to something you were talking about earlier in this idea, you know, you spent three months, was it all in Thailand or were you kind of spread across? Yeah, I was on the road for me and my wife and my child. We were on the road for six and a half months. We spent uh, the first three months in Bali and then we were in Thailand for a month and a half and then uh, went to Europe uh, and then back to Thailand and then from Thailand back to Canada. Um, Yeah. So, yeah. So I, I mean, I love Thailand. It's one of my favorite places actually. So my wife and I actually got married there. Um, We've been there a couple of times and if it wasn't a 36 hour flight door to door, I'd probably go every year. You know, it's an amazing place, but you know, so you said something interesting there. I remember when I first started this company, like I was working 
midnight to midnight, it felt like, you know, trying to get this thing off the ground and, and trying to build something. And then you get to a point where the machine starts rolling, you've got processes in place and then, and then you kind of have like downtime. Right. And so you go from this like constant nonstop head to the grindstone going. And then, and then I have this downtime and I'm like, Oh, like, like, I just don't like, and when you describe like, if I didn't get back to work, I was going to go crazy. And it's, so it's like, I almost struggle now with like the downtime being like, okay, I'm going to go insane if I don't have a f- completely full calendar. Yeah. Right. So talk about that from your personal expense experience. You know, I mean, for most people, they think like, oh, you're, you traveled the world for six months. Why in that? And, you know, you, maybe you didn't need to go back to work because you had enough cash flow. Describe what it was like to have that urge to actually get back and kind of get back and working. Yeah, so I, I think I would describe it as like boredom, you know, like imagine like you, you've done all of the things that were on your like maybe short term bucket list, you know, by no means that I've done everything that I wanted to do. And I'm still like hungry to, you know, complete some of my goals. Like, you know, I've, I've been to 67 countries. I want to do 100 before 100. So I've got lots of work left to do there or lots of fun left to do there. But I think for me, it was like, you know, I had read a bunch of books and I was with my kid and you could fill your day. You, you Don't get me wrong. I, it was not a problem to fill the day with fun things to do or or, or whatever. But at some point we need to be contributing. We need to feel like our time has value. We need to be helping people. We need to be solving difficult problems. That's what humans do, you know, and that's where we are the happiest, you know? And so if you, you know, if you wake up and you don't have to get up at a certain time, um, it's not, not a really fun place. You know, it's like that challenge of like going into that difficult meeting or solving that difficult problem or, reaching somebody else on your team, helping somebody else on your team reach their full potential. Like that's the shit that gets me up in the morning. Like, I love it. You know, I I love my job at talking to every day. I work with like 24 of the brightest people I've ever had to work for. Half of them challenge me at least once a week. Um, And I continue to learn um, and grow as a person, grow as a leader. Um, I think that's what it's all about. And so like, this idea of a mini retirement, which is what I would say I did, you know, and when I was 32, um, was really quite lovely. Um, and I would do it again. But I think like a month is the right amount of time for me. Like, I think anything beyond that, I start to like, um, not really know who I am anymore, like, or, or become somebody that I'm not really comfortable being. So, you know, this idea of retirement kind of scares the shit out of me. <laughs> you know, it's interesting, this idea of like contributing, um, for, I also under like, uh, the, I've, you know, I've always, I love type two fun events, you know, like big endurance events. And I'd done a bunch of big bike races. And then I think in 2018 or 2019, I can't remember the year, I decided to train for the Boulder Ironman. Nice. And what's what's fascinating about it was, is that like, once it was over, it was kind of like, meh, right? Yeah. Like it was like, meh, it's over. What was actually more enjoy- enjoyable was the year leading up to that, where you're at the pool at five or six o'clock in the morning, and then you're on the bike at, you know, lunch and then, or, you know, you're running in the morning and then you're on the bike in the afternoon or what, however you, you stagger it. And it was like this, it was like really the process 
for me was more enjoyable than the actual end result, right? Like the actual putting the work in and, and I mean, so I learned so many things about it, about myself and what's possible, you know, in that process. And yet I think learning to enjoy the process as much as the end result is probably the most important thing that I learned. Yeah, absolutely. It's the, you know, it's the journey, not the destination. You know, all of this sage advice that we've heard all of our lives is so true. You know, I, I think it's really important to enjoy every day, you know, and, and be like, we're, we're a, a purpose-driven company. So our purpose at Talkatu is to save veterinary professionals time in their day. And if you can show up and contribute to something like that, especially given the current climate that we live in, in veterinary medicine, it's pretty friggin' great place to be. You know, it's a pretty fun job to know that you're helping people and to hear from your customers that, you know, that they were able to go home and have dinner with their family or, you know, any of the number, or they were able to take a lunch break for the first time in like four weeks. Like we got that comment like last week from somebody because they were able to get through their medical records a little bit faster. So I think having that purpose, you know, and being part of an organization that is like on a mission to do a thing that's hard is a hell of a lot of fun and is worth doing. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Great point. So, you know, you talked about to kind of circle this back to this idea of like doing something that's hard, but you know, it can be a lot of fun. And you talked about, you know, you have, you're, you've surrounded yourself with like 24 of some of the brightest people that challenge you every day. One thing that, you know, obviously we struggle a lot with investment is, is hiring, especially with the current shortage. And I think there's many industries now that are, have a massive employee shortage, how did you go about building talker to and finding the right people to surround yourself with? Because sometimes, you know, like there's, there's this concept of like, not only do we probably need diversity in cultural backgrounds or however you want to define it, but I think we also need diversity in ideas. And a lot of times for me, I like, you know, we see, you know, you see job postings in the tech space and it's like, we want 20 years of network admin experience and all this stuff. And I'm like, yeah, but is that like, is, you know, like, I don't know, like, is that, you know, you could probably find somebody with like a year's experience, it would be amazing, right? But they're not going to fill out the resume because they don't have the 20 years. So how have you gone about building this amazing team of people at talk to and building that company? up? Yeah, it's a great question. So uh, I don't know, uh, is the first answer that comes to mind. It just happened. No. Um, so I, I think that we you know, we were scrappy, right? It was it was our money at the start. And so we uh, hired a bunch of young people. Um, actually, I'll tell you the story of how I hired our CTO, which uh, has never been told, told publicly, but I'll just give it to you here. So uh, we were uh, just looking for a couple of software developers. We didn't even know what we thought we could do was possible. And so we put a co-op job posting out um, and we had... Where you live in Halifax, Nova Scotia, which is, you know, uh, Atlantic Nova Scotia. So all the way to the East Coast in Canada above Maine. Um, and we're in a town that has six universities. So lots of young people, lots of talent, lots of people looking for co-op work placements. And so one of the uh, one of the schools had a computer science program. We posted a job looking for a, cover, a summer intern. And we had 17 people apply for the position. Um, and surprisingly, every single one of them was Asian. 
um, which I thought was really interesting, especially like, you know, we're in, we're in not rural Canada, but we may as well be. Um, and so we had 17 people and they all showed up and we did interviews with everybody and a bunch of nice people. And I had given everybody an assignment. I'm like, take this API and this API documentation and go build something that shows me that you understand how this API works and understand how to read the documentation and come back and show it to me. And um, we'll take a look at it and we'll give you a job. So out of the 17, one person, um, our now CTO, Brendan Chan, uh, took the assignment, went to his mother's kitchen table, uh, worked for 12 hours straight, called me the next morning after he had finished building something uh, to tell me that it was ready and come back in and show me. And so he came back in and showed me, he kind of knocked my socks off. And so that was how we begun this company. That was employee number one, um, is, you know, one of the smartest people that I've ever worked with uh, that, you know, really had been developing video games since he's been like a teenager on his own time. And so we hired his friend and his friend's friend and his friend's other friend. And then eventually we ran out of friends and we started to dive into our own networks of people that we had worked with in the past, you know, my co-founders, the three of them have all built companies before have been in the startup scene. Um, so there was three of us to start as, or there's two of us to start as co-founders. And then we pulled another buddy of mine into the company that had been with every major IT company like Oracle, uh, SAP, Google, was one of the early employees at LinkedIn and built up Sales Navigator and a bunch of their tools. So we had amassed this group of people that we had worked with before and that we had kind of all had a sense of who each other was. And then we started to hire our people, people that were in our network. And, you know, and that got us to about 20 people. And now we're like now just starting to grow beyond that. But I'd say the way that we're doing it is with our purpose and our core values, like, right at the top of everything that we do. So, you know, that purpose to save veterinary professionals time in their day is kind of paramount. And then, you know, honesty, um, ability to adapt and adjust, no assholes, uh, collaborative and good humor are our core values of talking to. And they're how we hire, fire, reward and promote in our company. Uh, And that helps all of our leadership in the company kind of put a lens on the type of people that we want on the bus. So one complete total squirrel moment for when you talk about that is you mentioned you're in Nova Scotia. And I have to say, I am familiar with the area because have you seen that show on the history channel, Oak Island? Yeah, of course. Oh my man. Point. We've, we've been following that thing for oh my God, me and my, me and my little guy, he's uh, he's 11. Uh, and Kai and me watched that show for a bunch of seasons and we've been to the island. Oh, have you? Oh, oh yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Absolutely. I mean, total scroll. I have some other questions, but yeah. <laughs> so when you mentioned Nova Scotia, I was like, oh yeah, I know all about it. Like they go yeah. to uh, Halifax all the time, you know, to like the different of schools course. and stuff. Yeah, yeah that's, that's awesome. where I'm at right now. Oh, really? <laughs> that's awesome. But okay. So you talked about, so you also mentioned this idea of like hiring, you talked about hiring friends, like we're hiring friends of the people we'd hired. And then we kind of ran out of friends. What I think is, um, what is amazing about that I've learned about this, like whole culture idea and building cultures, not only for myself and other businesses in the vet profession is that I learned early on that there was some, Josh would probably, Josh Weissman would probably be able to pull this up and where this came from. But 
it's like if your staff is willing to promote your company to their friends, you're doing yeah. an amazing job culture wise, yeah. right? If if you were to survey your staff and they're like on the fence, like, would you recommend this place for your for your you know your friends to come work? And they're like, mm, maybe they basically have one foot out the door, you know, and they're, they're, they're looking for the next best opportunity. And so the fact that you were able to get to this point or you started out at a point where you could like hire friends, you know, like have essentially have being self-recruiting kind of, I think says a lot to about how you're building the company and the culture. So were you really intentional about it at the beginning as you were building the company or you know, how, what was that learning process like to really kind of get to the values that you have today? Cause I'm assuming there might be, it might've been a little bit different at the beginning. Yeah, no, it's, it's totally a great question. We actually have an ENPS score in our company. Uh, and right now we're like in the low eighties. Uh, so that means on a scale from minus a hundred to plus a hundred, we're just uh, 83 right now. Um, as far as people being willing to promote the place of work to their, you know, friends or the people that are in their network. So that's something that we actually measure um, quarterly and is really, really, really important. I mean, in the work that we do in this kind of whole IT sphere and software sphere, um, you're only as good as your people. And so it's, it's something that, you know, requires a lot of work. And as the CEO, it's like something that I'm constantly like paying attention to. So um yeah, so I think it was very intentional from the start. I've built companies before. I've built bad ones and good ones. I've been part of like rocket ships and, you know, and dismal failures. Um, and it's always about the people, you know, the, the brighter the people, the better you pay them, the better products you can build, the better software you make. The diversity is huge as well. We've got a really diverse team, all kinds of different ethnic backgrounds, Um Diversity is kind of at the front of our hiring efforts right now. Uh, there's certain groups uh, that we're prioritizing above other groups uh, because building software for everybody is what we're trying to do, everybody in this profession. Uh, and we're not just trying to build it for white males. Right. Yeah. So what you're saying is I, I can't apply right now is what you're saying. Yeah, we got, <laughs> we got, we got enough white guys. <laughs> right. uh, nothing, nothing against us, but yeah, yeah, no, it's yeah exactly. really important. I mean, and it's something we went through an accelerator, Clinton, um, with Google a little while ago, and we got a lot of diversity and inclusion training. Um, and then, you know, I've had some people on our podcast that have schooled me and really opened my eyes to like, we're not building software for like one small segment of the population. And so if we want to be able to build software that everybody can use, you know, the more diversity that is on our team allows us to see blind spots that we just wouldn't see otherwise. Like they're just invisible to us. So diversity and inclusion is a competitive advantage, in my opinion. You know, one size fits all or silver bullet approach. It's just like, you know, if you wake up one day and you go to your team meeting on Zoom and you look around and it's a bunch of white males and you don't do anything about it. That's just not really smart. You know, and it's, and, and some people will listen to me say this and they'll be like, yeah, but we just hire the people that are most qualified for the job. And so my challenge would be, well, what about all of the blind spots that you guys don't see because you're not different than each other? And, you know, 
It is so obvious once you start to build teams and you start to build diversity in your teams, people have different roles, even within the same position because of their mindset and the way that they think and their view on the world and their view may be one of the most important changes that you make to your application or your software stack or your IT offering or your hardware product or software product or, you know, retail operations. This idea of, you know, uh, dispersed leadership where everybody has a say in what the company is doing and anybody can contribute. If you get to that place with a diverse team, you're going to build some of the best software that's out there because that's how it's done nowadays. It's not built with, you know, people that don't have a worldview, people that don't look at things through a different lens. There's so much value and it, it's unbelievable once you start to see it happen in your team because you're like, why wasn't I doing this all along? Why did I never pay attention to this? Because everybody has a different way of looking at the world, which means that we all have different ways of solving problems, which means that there's opportunities to solve problems faster or different um, when you have those different viewpoints. Yeah, great, great, uh, great point. You know, because sometimes like, I guess, you know, I was a developer at one point, you know, early on in my career and, you know, and you're familiar with like when you're developing an application, you need very, very, very specific instruction sets, right? Like, I think one of the first things I learned in one of my first development classes was, was like, give me directions on how to make this sandwich. And then they, you know, you play the game and everybody's like, there's, you know, they're explicitly following the rules and they're like, well, you, this is what you told me, right? So what do you expect the outcome to be? And so a lot of times my mind gets in that mindset and I'm like, okay, well, you know, as we build this company, we need to make sure X percent of the company is this and that, and because that matches the overall demographic. But I think if what I'm hearing you saying is, kind of back to my original point with with this idea of like sometimes of how we craft job postings and and those kind of things where it's like we're only looking for a very specific person right so you know that 20 years of IT experience who you know who's done this and fits into this kind of little box instead it's like opening the door up to saying like okay, well, maybe you've got a diverse background in a number of different ways, including your professional experience that could provide a lot of value to us now. Yeah, I think so. I think I think the, the, the message, if I tried to distill it down, is diversity for the sake of diversity is probably the wrong way to do it. However, if you've got two competent candidates that score the same, and one provides a diversity moment, there's a competitive advantage for you to hire that person that's different than the rest of the people because they are coming with a unique lens that you probably don't have now. So I think, you know, more diversity is better and it really helps build better companies because of the viewpoints and the different different views that different people have on the same thing. Yeah. And they, you know, I think you mentioned a little bit earlier, you know, talking about like, 
you know, one of your challenges is like being up in Nova Scotia, you know, like in kind of rural Canada, it kind of limits the, the people we have. I think we've gotten, to, the world has gotten to a place now where because of the age of the internet and all the things that we can do, it allows us to expand our borders, right? Because like, if I was stuck to having to hire strictly people who lived in Golden, Colorado, I too would be very limited in the diverse backgrounds that are located in this town, you know, in the town that I grew up in. Um, but I think the, the nature of the way business is done today allows us to really expand our opportunities and look for those different backgrounds and people. Yeah, we're, we're really, really lucky given the industry that we're in with this IT um, focus, because we can do our work anywheres. And so that means that our people on our team can be anywheres. And so not everybody has this luxury, you know, veterinary medicine, like our, our people don't have this luxury. And I'm not saying that this is the only way to run a business. I'm just saying if you have an opportunity or you have two candidates that are, the exact same skill level, I would opt for the diverse one because it gives you an opportunity to have yet another way to look at the world. And it's incredible the things that you find. Yeah, exactly. You know, on that note, you, you know, I think with COVID, we've seen a number of hospitals where they have kind of embraced this dispersed workplace environment yep. to some degree, and they continue to have some CSRs and stuff that work from home, right? Because they don't necessarily need to be in the hospital, right? Um, you don't necessarily need to have your doctor in the hospital, one of your associates in the hospital doing callbacks, right? Like they could, they can do those from home, right? Especially depending upon how your structure, your structure is set up. Do you see any other hospitals in, in the space kind of now embracing that some of these roles, at least part-time can be done remotely and allow, or potentially saying like, you know what, we can set up a CSR from wherever they can take inbound calls, set up appointments and do all that stuff for us from really, from really anywhere. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, we all have gone through this like, you know, 10 years of digital transformation in the last two years. And I think a lot of people that might have been thinking about embracing tech, whether it's telemedicine or having some CSRs that are remote or having a second shift to cover the phone or somebody to cover the backup phones have embraced technology. They've got phone systems that allow them to do this stuff. They've got, you know, cloud-based PIMs now. So yeah, people can in this industry even work from everywheres or anywheres. And I've had a number of people that I've heard that, you know, we're about to lose staff and, um, they said, well, why don't you work remotely? And then they moved, you know, like a time zone away, like thousand miles. Um, and they were still able to stay and they didn't have to lose that person. So I think this whole world of work um, that we knew so well for such a long time is shifting like crazy. Um, you know, for me to think that like, you know, I've got three people on the West Coast, I've got four people in the middle of Canada, I've got other people on this coast and all over the place and a couple of people in Europe on my team just blows my friggin' mind. Um, but somehow it all works, you know, somehow, you know, the pandemic has shown us that, you know, people don't need a babysitter. You know, if, if you can just trust them, they'll probably do more work than you even thought they would. Um, yeah. If you give them the latitude to, you know, work in the way that's best for them and in the environment that works best for them, and the thing that's been blowing my mind lately, like yesterday, I was in the office for the first time in a long time, a couple months, 
And it was full. We haven't mandated anybody to go back to the office, um, but we had a full uh, a full team of people in the office that wanted to go in and hang out. Today it's empty, um, and that's okay. Like that that I think it's just fine. You know, like allowing people to have the latitude to work how they want to work, but still be measured and still have to you know perform. Um, but then give them the flexibility to figure out how to do it. I think makes for stronger cultures as well. And I think that, you know, there's this whole kind of like leadership dilemma going on right now. Like, do we have to have the people in the office, like in order for work to get done? And it's like, hello, guys. Like, what about the last year and a half? Is anybody <laughs> yeah. in business, like, you know, completely tanked or gone, yeah. you know, gone adrift, you know? And I think, I think that what COVID's taught us is a little bit more flexibility in the way that we think about work um, will build better cultures. And we'll build better companies. Yeah, you know what's interesting is I guess I'd I'd never really thought about it, but like one of our marketing and and content writers, he's in Kenya, and uh, yeah, you know, at first, like because I when I was looking for somebody to kind of take that role on and, and handle a lot of that, you know, it was for it was like, well, you know, you're an Af- how you know if you're writing a lot of content, how's your English going to be? But it, he's been amazing, like, and even though we're on like completely opposite time zones, like it works. Like he just yeah. gets everything we need. Like he's amazing. Like it is interesting to also like, I, I love coffee. So like at some point I want to get to like Ethiopia and Kenya, like has some coming. amazing coffee. Coming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So like gives me excuse. I'm like, Oh, you know, business trip, right? Like I got to go have a meeting with our car content customer. marketing. Yeah. 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 Time but it's interesting. Cause yeah, it's like, I never would have thought like, Oh, well, you know, somebody in Kenya, I guess what opened my eyes to this is I read uh, Tim Ferriss's Four Hour Workweek book oh, a long man. time that, ago. That's why I went to Bali. That, that's the book that I. Oh, was it? Okay. Uh, yeah, that's that's. Remember that section of the book where Tim is like, uh, "What are three things that you could do right now that would change the rest of your life?" And so mine were like, "Quit my job, sell everything that I own, and move to Indonesia." <laughs> and you basically almost did that. I did. I did exactly yeah. that. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. But yeah, so I mean, yeah, but a great point. I mean, in the fact that like, now we really can open up our back to that original point of being able to open up your doors to a whole host of different people to be able to fill roles um, and provide and help you grow a company. And that's, that's a tough thing, right? And it's, uh, so I would let you know, as somebody who's, you know, running a company, not as big as talking to and doesn't have as much staff. If you had advice for me, or like maybe a, a practice owner that's listening to this, it's, you know, like we work with a lot of uh, associates who are going to become practice owners and they're trying to get everything set up. What advice would you give us as far as starting to looking to build this and building revenue to bring on the right people? And like there's Dan Price, the guy who owns Gravity. I think it's his CEO of Gravity Payments. He always talks about, you know, like when he gave all of his staff a raise 70K a year base, the, the major impact that made in his hospital. But also being a business owner, you realize that there's like, you have to have enough revenue to support that. Right. So it's yeah. like, um, yeah. So yeah, what advice I, would you I, give my us? Simple, my simple advice is that, you know, I didn't know this until 22 years into my business uh, career. And I had no idea that systems existed to run companies. Um, and so there's all kinds of them out there. And the one that we lean into or use is a system called traction. And it, you know, gets you to define your core values and your purpose 
and gives you a playbook on how to run a business. And it has completely transformed my life, my company, uh, and I would say almost everybody that works in my company. So like looking into systems that other business leaders have used over and over again with a great deal of success and implementing one of them and stopping running your business based upon emotion or how you feel and start running it on like, you know, data uh, and a system that you can lean into has been probably one of the most freeing things that I've ever done. Because now I don't run this company. I've got a leadership team that runs this company. Um, and it's been just transformative. It's really been the reason that we've been able to continue to grow. And like, we're We've got like six openings right now, six additional job openings. So we'll be close to 30 people before the end of 2021. That's amazing. You know, and again, I love that because A, I can really resonate. I worked with, I worked for a company and I feel like part of my job was just talking the owner off a cliff anytime somebody else entered the space that we were in. Right. And it was just like, oh, did you see, so? did you see that so-and-so is now trying to get in the industry we're in and. And it was just like, it was like, whoa, dude, like, it's okay. Like, that's fine. You know, like, again, back to this idea that like, you know, we're not running our business off emotions, right? This emotion that we're now afraid of potential competition. But yeah, you're right. Like, and um, do you know uh, Craig Spinks over at Medios? I don't think so. Yeah, he leverages traction as well. And I was really interested and he talked about how important it was. And so I started reading that book and started looking at- The book is so awful, man. The book is boring, (laughs) so bad. But but read it and then connect with a couple of people that that have implemented that into their business. Man, it is- it's game changing, like, and big, big, big companies use it and small, small, small companies use it. You know, I know, I know people that have a team of three or two, I know people two, and they use traction in the level 10 and like all of the, all the different components. And it's just, once you start doing it, you're like, this makes so much sense. Why wasn't I, I'm so dumb. (laughs) Why wasn't I doing this before? You know, just give yourself like a cadence for meetings and a way to lead and a way to like, you know, there's a concept of letting go of the vine, which is like, you know, trusting that other people are going to do the thing that you need them to do and just getting out of the way. And, you know, it's for, I was running companies since I was like 16 years old and the amount of things that I did that were so dumb, you know, like the number of times where I thought my role as the guy running the company was to act like some kind of crazed lunatic and get people to be scared that I get mad if they didn't do the thing that I wanted them to do. Like that, that was how I started. That's what I thought you were supposed to do. I thought you were supposed to be mean to people and boss them around. Man, that doesn't fucking work. <laughs> you're right. You're right. It doesn't work you're at right. all. It, it has right. the opposite effect. You know, that's when people steal from you, when they lie to you, when they would cheat you at, at any time they could. Um, you know, what you want to do is like build a team and do some shit together, do some good, hard stuff together and roll up your sleeves too. And not be afraid to like, you know, go into the trenches and figure it out with your team. And when you lead with purpose like that, it's fun. Like I love everybody that I work with. They're amazing people. Like I would take any of them out for beers tonight. Um, But that's not going to happen though. 
uh, not, <laughs> not every night. But you know, it's, yeah. it's just really interesting. You know, it's like when you kind of when you kind of get to that place where you can have like healthy dialogue and and they can tell you that they think you're wrong. And guess what? Like I'm wrong all the time. And it's so incredible to work with like 23 year olds that will go to you and be like, you're wrong. Like you're, you're just wrong for these reasons. And I think you just don't have all the information and we should do it like this. And you're like, you know, as, as the guy that's like, you know, in charge, it takes a little while to be able to be okay with that. But man, the growth that I've done through getting rid of control and letting go, um, the growth that's happened in my own career is like, I realize now that there's people on my team that are half my age that know more than I do about a lot of different things. And if you just get the hell out of the way and let them do what they're good at, it's incredible what you can come up with. Okay, so I feel like there's a a lot of bosses that I've worked for in the past, and a lot of practice owners that I've worked with that really could use that advice. How did you like? How did you learn how to like let go and actually really learn to trust people to to adult yeah. right? Like to I, really... I was lucky. So I was 22 years old, running an IT services company. Um, and I got asked to be on an economic development board with a bunch of what I would consider bigwigs, you know, a bunch of multimillionaires that have done a lot of things and vice presidents of this organization and that organization. I was a young buck and they were like, oh, you've got lots of energy. Let's get you involved and get you to volunteer. And so we did a personality index of the group uh, early on when this board was founded. And mine was like control, perfectionism, uh, like literally everything that could be wrong with your personality index was wrong with me. And it wasn't just wrong. It was off the charts, like fucking bad news. <laughs> Get this guy out of that seat. And one of these guys on the board that I really respect came up to me and he's like, like, you've got some big fucking problems that you need to really work on, or you're going to be in, you know, you're going to burn out. You're going to like be unhappy. You're going to hate your life. And I was like, what? I thought I was doing so good. I thought I was like <laughs> perfect at this stuff. Everybody was like stroking my ego. And, you know, everybody was saying I was like this amazing, like young entrepreneur. And the reality was I had no sweet clue what I was doing. I was trying to do my best, but I was a tyrant. I was awful to work for. People quit all the time. And that one guy coming up to me and saying like, hey, you, you should really like, look at this uh, and do something about it started this journey for me to develop as a leader where I went out and I hired a consultant to like help me with the things that were wrong with my personality and my perfectionistic tendencies and like all of these like personality problems that were like staring me right in the face when I went to look at them and I was like oh I wonder if that's why that person quit because I was such a dick to them you know and then <laughs> it just, like caused me to have this like moment of self-reflection and it's been a 20 long year journey of like trying to figure out like when to not be mean and when to encourage how to manage, you know, tons of that type of stuff. But like, I also had like mentors that recommended simple little books, like the one minute manager, 
Oh, yeah, that's a good one. I read that one. Page yeah. book. And you yeah. read that. And if you think the way that you get things done is yelling at people and you read that, and you're like, oh, God, I got it all wrong. And so there was a lot of those moments along my career path to date, which is I got this all wrong or I'm super frustrated. And instead of being super frustrated, like, you know, just going out and going for a walk or going for a run or going to the gym or doing something besides going and yelling at people that you're only going to make everything way worse. So I just think I had a lot of learning along the way. And I've had a lot of great mentors that have taught me a lot of things. And, um, and I had a lot of firsthand experience with people like I used to be like um, along the way. And I saw how their teams just don't function well. They're not highly, highly successful organizations. You can only go so far with that kind of mentality. So how, like how, you know, cause I think there's a line between there's like this fine line where it's like, you have to remove yourself as the business owner and kind of the big picture director of, of the organization, but you still have to be present to give the support to your team. Right. Cause if you completely check out and there's no kind of like direction, things can also come off the rails. Right. Especially yeah, if you're like, so how do you how do you balance that like being involved but not being overly involved if you know what I mean like to like a micromanagement standpoint Yeah exactly that's exactly what I thought you were going to say so the difference between a manager and a micromanager is a manager will ask you to do a thing and be there if you need help to do the thing the the micromanager will stand over your shoulder and tell you how to do the thing and I think that that's how you do it. You know, you make sure that you give people that have the skills and ability, the latitude to go off and do the thing. And if they make mistakes, you help you be there to help pick them up and to course correct and to get rid of the things that are blocking them from doing the thing. But as far as like, you know, like the, it's the rule of the rule of 10, you know, like if you teach couple of people how to do it. They can teach a bunch of people how to do it and they can teach a bunch of people how to do it. And you give them the creative flexibility and freedom to do things the way that they think is best. And then, you know, sometimes you just will be completely surprised because they've done it in like a 10th of the time, way better than you ever would have been able to do it. So I think that you, you can't be too prescriptive, especially when you're trying to build software and when you're trying to build a culture with, um, a bunch of software developers that think differently than you. Um, you can't be too prescriptive. You've got to start out with the goal. You have to have measurement. Um, and if you have those two things, goal to measurement and accountability, um, you'll find that the people just blow your mind away. They just blow your, knock your socks off. Like that's what happens constantly. Um, but it's work to get there. Um, but yeah, I look at my role as a CEO of this company is just getting rid of the blockers. Like, you know, what, what's in your way? How can I help get rid of it? How can I support you? Yeah, great, great point. So go, going back to what you were talking about earlier and like learning, you know, having this executive come to you and be like, dude, you've got serious like personality problems that are going to really prevent you from growing this company. And then you start to look at hiring consultants to help you better understand how to like, change some of these behaviors. Do you have an example of like, where you can remember like the first project where you really like, okay, this is killing me mentally, 
but I am going to let go, let go, I do. let them drive. Yeah, yeah I do. It, it's back to the IT days, back to like deploying new computer systems in an office. And I was like uh, the most ridiculous perfectionist that you've ever met. You know, like I would go out and we'd deploy, you know, 10, 15 computers in a, in a small business and I'd arrange the cords and coil them up. And I knew the quarter turn of the cord would make the coil like perfectly round. And I remember the, like being like, okay, like, I'm kind of trying to run a company. I've got four people working for me. I probably shouldn't be coiling up cords. And I show the guy how I normally did it. And he's like, okay, great. I th- he's like, I think I have a better way. And I'm like, oh God, oh God. <laughs> way? You don't have a better way. I have the best way. How can you have a better way? <laughs> and then coming back and seeing, you know, that this guy had, you know, gone and bought some of these Velcro ties and then had like collated them all. And it was a better way. And I was like, oh shit. People have better ways. I don't have the best way all the time. And that's a really like stupid example. But it was the first time where I had kind of let go and I looked at it and I was like, okay. And it feels good. It feels good when you let go and then you look back and you're like, oh shit, they're they're better at this than I am. Like this is, and that's when I think I truly knew that I had the capability of being a leader is one when I was able to let go of things that were like small details that mattered to me that maybe didn't matter as much as they actually mattered Um, when I was able to let them go and like stand back and watch people do better work than me and I think that's like a really defining moment for me in my career realizing that like there's a lot of other people out in the world and a lot of them know way better than I do and just being smart enough to get out of the way. Okay. So as we come down to the end, and before we get to my last game question, the other thing I would love from love from your perspective, you know, we're all spiritual people to some degree, depending on how you express that or, or enjoy that. I feel like there's a spiritual element to every person. And so, you know, having run and grown multiple companies, you know, is there anything from like a non- like a non-material view, like something about you from multiple companies, where you're at now, that was kind of just like a big life lesson, you know, like something that as, you know, you've gone from like starting companies when you're young, completely having to change your leadership style, exiting that, you know, exiting that company, thinking you could live on the beach forever. And then be like, no, I got to go back to work. And now you're like trying to hire, you know, now it seems like you're going through this growth phase of understanding, like, how do we bring in people of diverse backgrounds and experiences and really do something unique here? So if you look back on this like culmination of things, like is it is there kind of one big life lesson that's kind of that you really would take away from all these experiences? Yeah, man, I, I think it's really simple for me. Like what gets me up in the morning is helping take somebody that can't make eye contact, that you know is really smart, that can't stand up for themselves or speak in public and turning them into a world-class ass kicker that gives advice to the best people in the world on the subject area that they work in, taking them from being like quiet and shy and meek to being an ass kicker. That's what gets me up in the morning. That's what I love. That's what I do every day is try to help people that are on my team, like be the best in the world. Um, 
I love it. Like it's more important than money or any of the other things that I do is like helping people reach their potential. I've had a lot of people help me along the way. And I, I just love doing that. That's like, that's my jam. Yeah. So for people listening listen to the podcast, know I'm a total theology nerd and, you know, there's a, a Buddhist concept, especially Mahayana Buddhist, which is Tibetan version. It's like you reach this stage of like a bodhisattva before you become completely enlightened. And that bodhisattva's primary role is learning the value of helping others, right? And the happiness that 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 then in turn creates for you. And as listening to you talk about that, like at the end, like sure, maybe if it's for your company, there's some sort of monetary value. But I would think that even if they weren't directly working for talking to you, you would probably still get the same value, satisfaction, like life fulfillment feeling, yeah. even if they were working and doing something completely different. That, that's another thing that like has come on the journey too, is like this idea that just because somebody doesn't want to work on your team anymore, that they're a bad person or they're this or that. I remember early on, we lost one of our kind of key developers and we had like a nice send-off party for her and it was really great. And I still really like this person. She's got some shares in our company. She was a great member of our founding team. And we we let her go with a celebration as opposed to like, how could you dare leave us? Which was, you know, one of these old concepts of like, if you're going to leave us and go work for another company, you're somehow bad. People need change. People need variety. Like sometimes they need to switch it up. And I think like, the way that you look at the world and the events that happen around you influences so many things inside your own company. Like that one example, like of an early person that was a key person on our team, that is our culture, right? Our culture is like, good luck, you know, like, I hope you go out there and crush it as opposed to like, how dare you leave and you're going to ruin everything. And, you know, that's just not good. Um, and it doesn't make anybody feel good. So I, I think, there's, yeah, there's lots of life lessons along the road of running companies and building teams. And those are a couple of them that I think are pretty cool. Do you follow Gary Vaynerchuk at all? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I think he, he had like some like cartoon meme the other day and it was like how to properly treat a company, uh, an employee that's leaving. And it was like, same thing. Like just basically what you said, like they celebrated this person, like, Oh, it's such an awesome job. And as it, the, the last one was like, as they're walking out the door, the new applicants walking in, and they look at that person they're like yeah. you're going to love working here. Yeah. You know. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And and you know it's it's really interesting kind of going through that process because you hear about that, you know, like in very strange ways. Like it comes back to you and you know when you're trying to build a company with a limited pool of um, human resource, like those things are really important. And there's a lot of lessons. I mean, man, just one of the things that I was jamming with Rob Tremble uh, with just like the other day in Colorado, just close to you, was yeah. just, just how there's a lack of leadership in the world we live in. People don't know this shit. People haven't had anybody pull them aside and say, you know what, you're going to get more out of your people if you treat them like people. And, you know, it's not everywheres, but there's I wish people knew this stuff because it's not rocket science. It's counterintuitive. Yes. Like I'll, I'll give anybody that like wants to challenge me an ear because it doesn't necessarily make sense. It's not necessarily what we see in the movies. It's not necessarily what everybody tells us when we're like, you know, starting our career, but it's reality. 
that you treat people good to treat you good. And the same goes for an employee employer relationship. Yeah. I feel, I, I don't know what it is. Uh, I don't know if it, if it's divine intervention or I don't know what it is, but I feel incredibly, incredibly lucky to be surrounded with like people like yourself. And it seems like for some reason I keep finding people who have just like really um, have embodied what it means to be a leader today. And I would, when you were talking about this idea of like really treating people well, it made me think of uh, Tom Jenkins, the CEO of uh, Pets app. Do you know that? Do you know them at all? Yeah, Tom's my buddy. Yeah. Tom is amazing. And he, you know, one thing that we were talking about is he was like, well, a lot of times we as business owners have to ask ourselves if I want them to do something, what's in it for them. Right. We never think about like what's in it for them for so often this, you know, there's this idea if you own a, a jo- you know, own a company is like, well, what's in it for you is you have a job. You should feel lucky to work for me. You know what I mean? And it's like, I feel like great leaders like yourself and Tom are shifting the dynamic where it's like, no, I'm, I'm really lucky to have you working for me. And we chose you because you are special and can really bring something to this team. And so if I'm asking for something extra, yes, you're right. What is in it for you and how can I help it be more also about you? And I think that's a major mind shift that a lot of people and a lot of companies are going to have to make, I think, to really survive and grow. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's unchartered times. Things are getting more difficult. We should all just treat each other as best we can. And I think it's a lot more fun. Yeah, 100%. Well, we've gone about five minutes over here. So I greatly appreciate your time. And this has truly been fascinating. So yeah, the last the last canned question is just, you know, is there anything you want to promote? How can people find out more about talking to you? Yeah, the, the stage is yours. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate that. So, I mean, talking to we're simple to use uh, dictation software for anybody in their vet profession. So if you're a receptionist, a vet tech, or a veterinarian that struggles to stay ahead of your paperwork, because you don't like typing or you do too much of it, uh, you can go to our website, talkatu.com and do our free trial. It's totally free. Uh, There's no commitment. You don't have to put a credit card in. You'll have a better uh, experience if you try one of our microphones that comes along with the software, but you can use it with any mic. And uh, I'd love to connect with anybody, you know, whether it's related to the podcast that I do, which is the Veterinary Innovation Podcast, or Talkatu. Reach out to me on LinkedIn, or I'm just Sean, S-H-A-W-N, at Talkatu.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And I will actually say we were actually just... uh, promoting Talkatu to a hospital just yesterday, actually. We were like, actually, like it took like totally, it was a new customer that we're working with and on random came up and actually Logan, she was like, let me show you, I've got it up. And so, yeah, we were able to kind of do like a live demo right there. So it's awesome. Yeah, Yeah, it's it's great. I mean, it truly is great. I would really appreciate that. Yeah, we've taken a lot of time to make it simple and easy to use. You don't need to learn anything. It literally has one button. So yeah, exactly. It's amazing, right? Like Google, right? Like one square, <laughs> you know, <laughs> on a page. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, listen, well, thank man, you. I really, I really, really appreciate this. It was a lot of fun. It was good to get to know you a little bit better. And I really love this kind of format of just kind of like connecting with people. And uh, we'll stretch it out on an upcoming episode of our podcast, which I'm excited. Yeah. To- Sounds great. Looking forward to it. Thanks, man. Cheers.